Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Richard Lippman. He's a world-renowned expert in the area of free radical scavengers. He has been nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. He has spoken all over the world about anti-aging interventions. He has written the book, Stay 40 Without Diet or Exercise. Of all of the books that I've read, it's the most comprehensive book about how to have a balanced approach to hormones, how to deal with free radical scavengers, oxidation, and the whole gestalt of anti-aging. There is not a subject that this book does not address, and it is my great honor to welcome Dr. Richard Lippman to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Yeah, thank you, Kim, for having me on your program. I think the first thing I want to discuss with you that I'd like you to establish a frame of reference for the audience is the following. We need to know what a free radical is and why you're making such a strong focus on specialized antioxidants and not just green tea and vitamin E or vitamin C. What is a free radical, first of all? It's one of the most toxic substances on the planet. Free radicals are what's created from nuclear bombs, um, from, from reactor meltdowns, and from radiation you get from, from medical devices. And, and if, you, if you want to scramble your DNA like, like scrambled eggs, if you want to do that, then, then you radiate yourself in the dental office. You, 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 know, you, you expose yourself to other, other toxins that will, that will damage your cells and damage your DNA. And that's what, that's what really does the free radicals. That's what they do. And that's why it's so dangerous. And most people, they, they don't understand that. They, they think that, that free radicals are just something for scientists. But it really is the most toxic substance on the planet, more toxic than cyanide or botulism or any of these other poisons you hear about. Now, you say in your book that we make or create an average of 7,000 free radicals a day in our body. We actually create more than that. We, we, we have 7,000 hits. From the, that are the free radicals that are damaging and hitting our cells, and then we have natural enzyme systems and, and natural antioxidants to 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 repair that damage or to prevent that damage. Um, uh, but we're actually we're, we're breathing pounds of oxygen every day, every day, and the, and of those pounds of oxygen, less than ounces are converted into free radicals. And we have these wonderful defenses, especially when we're under 50 years of age, to to defend against the free radical salt that's that's going on continually in our body. It's only after 50 that that these wonderful defenses break down. For example, the enzymes catalase and superoxide dismutase. They decrease with aging, and then we're, we're subject to more damage than we were when we were younger. But do you think it was always this way, Dr. Lippmann? Do you think that in the caveman days we had this many free radicals? Well, in, in the caveman days, you, you didn't live longer than, than 30 or 40 years old. The average Roman in the Roman Empire lived... 25 years of age, and and 100 years ago, the turn of the century, 1900, the average American lived uh, 47 or 48 years of age. So we never lived long enough to to experience the, the the lack of enzymes and hormones that we get when we're over 50. And you think that was because of lack of medical expertise at the time, and not due to free radicals? You know, under 50, then we have these wonderful defenses. 
that allow us to live longer than other animals. Almost every other animal, with some exceptions, humans live longer than that. We, we even live longer than other primates. The typical chimpanzee, um, bonobos, they, they, only, they only live 50 years. And, uh, humans, humans live, on average, at least in Europe and Japan, they live over 80 years of age, and the, the oldest living whom human um, is 122 years of age. And there's several humans that have lived to 100. There's three women who lived to 117, one that lived to 119. A man in Iowa recently died. He was 114. Walter, Walter something was his name. So that we really have, really have the potential to live much longer than we do um, if we get under control our free radicals and correct for balance, with balanced enzymes and balanced hormones. Now, you heavily studied the cellular level of aging, correct? That's right. You also developed the nicotine patch, didn't you? Yes, that's right. I worked on the nicotine patch, and, and, and I actually I promoted and advertised that heavily in the, in the late 80s, long before the, the, these other patches came on the market. So I was one of the originators of the nicotine patch. Now, you also have written extensively about cross-linking. Even though it's in your book, I want you to explain why cross-linking is so deadly and why a lot of your emphasis is on dealing with cross-linking and trying to stop it. Talk about it. Cross-linking is essentially free radicals are involved, and cross-linking is in the case of the lens of the eye, for example, that, that causes cataracts. The, the proteins in the eye, they combine with sugars. They bind with sugars and they, and they bind irreversibly into what is called amide bonds. And, and the more of these amide bonds you get, the, the less you see out of the lens of the eyes, and thus the phenomena cataracts. Cataracts means waterfall in, in, in Greek, in the Greek language. And typically, you know, that's, that's corrected with, with laser surgery where you get new lenses. But actually, there's, there's been a new product out in the market for several years that actually breaks these amine bonds so you progressively get back sight with the lenses you have by, by reversing those amide bonds. Is this Dr. Mario? What is his last name? It's a Greek name, Cruzio. His books are available on on www.antiaging-systems.com. And they're called NAC drops? Yeah, the NAC drops, it's, NAC is, is N-acetylcarnosine, N-acetylcarnosine. Now, they were developed by the Russians. They're patented in Europe. The Russians patent in Europe. Well, who are the Russians? Well, the Russians, the Russians were the inventor of the, of the modern laser surgery called uh, radiokeratotomy. And back in the 70s, which everyone in the West laughed at, that they invented this laser surgery. Well, the same sort of scientists out of Russia developed these, these eye drops that actually reverses cataract, so you don't need to use cataract surgery. Now, why would you not need cataract surgery? Well, well 30% of cataract surgeries, they go wrong. There's, there's, you're not really cured by these surgeries. So, that, so this is a 100% cure for the, that helping to reverse the, the loss of vision from cataracts, not from other um, phenomena, not from other diseases of the eye, but when it comes to cataracts, because that is, a, again, a free radical, an oxidation process that has caused these amide bonds. Can NAC be used as a preventive measure, like a drop in each eye per day? Yeah, you, you know, you put a drop twice a day in each eye, and progressively you see an increases improvement in eyesight. 
And my own eyesight has improved from, let's see, my left eye from 55 over 20 to better than 2020. My distance vision is better than 20, but it took about four years to do that. Or my distance vision is 15 over 20. How interesting. So it actually improved. And if you, you know, again, if you, if you look at that website, I have, I have graphs where I've grafted myself and other people. I have graphs where you see a steady improvement in eyesight. And about every nine months when you're eye tested, you'll see improvements. Again, on you know, antiaging-motivate.com, you'll see those, those graphs under the, the NAC drops, the anacetyl carnosine drops. You also created a device to measure amino acids, free radicals, perioxides, and cross-linking. Is that correct? I devised a, a medical instrument to, to tell, that would tell you, um, without probing your body, without, it's called non-invasive, without probing, without giving you a blood test, to tell you what your levels of peroxides were in the body. And the levels of peroxides... Um, would, would indicate what your cross-linking was, what your activity free radical was. And, and I developed this back in the 80s, and this is part of the work that the Nobel Prize Committee has considered in, in nominating me for the Nobel Prize of Medicine, um, this device. And is it available, this device? No, it's, it's just for scientific use. It's, it's, um, it's, 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 it's actually, it's, its use is to, to further refine which antioxidants are, are best for you and, and which uh, free radical scavens are best for you. That's what it tells you, this device, because it non-invasively in vivo, it, it tracks the, the course, it tracks the level of antioxidants and, and, and peroxides in your body during a six, ten-hour time span. So you can really see, you know, whatever, whatever um, intrusive, intrusive uh, agents you use, like free radical scavengers, if they're really working or not. You're not down on vitamin C and vitamin E or green tea. No, it's only, I mean, you need vitamin C and E for normal health. I mean, absolutely, especially if you're from a third world country. You need those two vitamins. You need vitamin D3 also. But, but those aren't strong radical scavengers, you see. Those, those, those are just, you, know, you just need a, a certain sufficient level of those. What you need is, is strong uh, free radical scavengers. And that's what my book is about, and that's what, and that's what, what my, my formula is about, too, my, my ACF228 formula that contains strong free radical scavengers that I patented. And one of them is called NDGA, nordehydrogoric acid, which is a strong free radical scavenger. And, and that's and, you know, much, more, much more strength than, than this vitamin C or ER, which would you only, that only give you a limited amount of protection against free radicals. When you've done a critical amount of research and you've had these discoveries, when you begin to formulate your own product, there are some people that sometimes may have resistance to listening to somebody who's formulated their own products. But you have a lot of things in this product in ACF228. You have selenium, you have catalase, you have BHT, L-carnosine and DMSA. Oh yeah, I mean, I could I could go on for hours about these different ingredients. But for one, I mean, after the age of forty-five or fifty, you start losing catalase and superoxidismatase, your two primary enzymes in the body that defend you against free radicals. And so I've included in this formulation is catalase, and you know, and, and I've included a lot of other what I consider to be strong antioxidants versus the weak antioxidants of vitamin C and E. You're very much 
for testing blood, saliva, and urine, but you're really a proponent of the 24-hour urine test, and I want you to explain why. Well, especially for women. I mean, women um, often have, have a wide variety of problems. I've, I've talked to a lot of women that have, might have 10 or 15 medical problems, and they're in they're in middle age or older. And so they really need extensive analysis of what's really going on. It's not enough to go to the doctor and for free be tested for six or seven hormones. The, the urine analysis tests them for 30 different hormones. They need to be tested for 30 different hormones with a urine analysis. They need both blood work and the urine work. And then they need the, you know, they need a competent physician who, who understands who understands and can, can visually analyze and question a woman, women especially, to get to the bottom of their problems and not just give them some temporary remedy that solves one, one um, effect they're having. Are you talking about, for example, when you do the 24-hour urine test, you say you look at at least 29 hormones and their metabolites. Why don't you do the same thing for men, for example? Well, when, when men are a lot simpler. I mean, men, men usually only have one hormone, testosterone, that, that gets, runs amok, and that, that's easy to resolve by giving them some testosterone. But women have these, have these multiple hormone systems that, that, that they depend upon for good health. And, and also, I mean, these wonderful hormones that women have, the estrogens, for example, they, they allow women to live to over 100 years of age, where men don't live to over 100 years of age. That 98% of the people that live to 100, over 100, are women, because they have superior hormones to men. But, but they're very complicated, their hormones, and, and they need to be thoroughly analyzed, like with a, with a 30, a, you know, like I said, a 30, 30 different hormone analysis from a urine test. I have to tell you two things. One is that when my father was in his late 70s, he was dealing with the fact that my mother had Alzheimer's. And prior to that, he had prostate cancer. He got rid of it, but he was so depressed in his 70s, depressed about my mother, his wife, and he was very depressed in general. And I said to him, you need to go to an anti-aging doctor because you're missing hormones. And unless you get these hormones checked, this is going to continue to go on. It turned out that he died at 79 because he wanted to. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, it's, it's self-fulfilling. It's, it's a catch-22 that if you don't get your hormones corrected, then, then you become very depressed. And not everybody, but some people, especially men, do. And it's the Walter Matthau grumpy old man syndrome, you could call it. That, that if, you don't, if a man doesn't have his hormones, then he becomes depressed. And many times patients will come with, into, me, into my office, husband and wife, and the wife will say to me, this isn't the man I married anymore. This, this is, he was happy 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I married him. He was happy. He was jovial. And he's depressed now. He's sad, this man. You know, please help me. And, and the man doesn't think anything's wrong. But the, but the woman realizes this man has changed dramatically. And, and he really needs some hormone replacement, especially with testosterone. And then all of a sudden, during the last two years, it became all right, according to conventional medicine, to give men testosterone replacement now. And the reason is that the, Harvard, the faculty of the Harvard Medical School has proclaimed in a book now, in a recent book from last year, that, that it's okay to give men testosterone. Um, their formal spokesman is a professor at Harvard, Professor Abraham Morgenthaler. 
and Morgenthaler has, has even treated men with prostate cancer, giving them testosterone, thus overturning another myth that testosterone causes cancer, which is incorrect. And, and so all of a sudden, even conventional medicine recognizes that men need testosterone. But it's, but it's not always that simple. Men might need, might need other things besides testosterone. That might not be enough to, to remedy their problems. And, and, and the sad thing is that, that if you go to a conventional endocrinologist, they won't know what to do because they're only used, they're used to, endocrinologists, they had testosterone supplementation in school 20 or 30 years ago, but basically today they're only treating the epidemic in, um, in diabetes in this country, and they don't really know how to treat other hormone problems other than thyroid and, and diabetes. And so they're really unfamiliar with that, and that's why you need an anti-aging specialist. And then probably I would say, Dr. Lippman, that even a lot of anti-aging specialists aren't as far in terms of the whole system's understanding as you are, because I took my mother to an anti-aging specialist in Santa Monica. I'm not going to mention the person's name, but he just handed me a 5-milligram bottle of DHEA and said, give it to your mom. I mean, there was no testing. There was no nothing. That was in 2003-2004. But I know you said that men lose between two-thirds and three-fourths the amount of testosterone from age 35 to 60, which has dire consequences. And it's true that testosterone was considered the boogeyman for men of causing cancer. Yeah, as a result, the, 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 this whole phenomena of, of testosterone being dangerous for men was from a 1941 study on eunuchs that they, they found these eunuchs didn't respond well to, to, to testosterone. And so ever since then, they thought that, that testosterone was wrong, with the exception of this one Danish physician between 1948 and 88, he gave all his patients testosterone, even those with gangrene, and he cured their, dang, their gangrene. And so that, so that you know, they, they, they've, they've been under this false illusion from 1941 until Professor Morgenthaler came around at the Harvard Medical School and, and used it on extensive patient base that he has and, and got these remarkable results and, and improvement in, in, improvement, improvement in man's cardiovascular system, improvement in his um, humor. Didn't it also used to be there was another myth that any upgrade in testosterone would mean immediate aggression? It translated as overextended aggression. Do you remember that myth that if you took it that you would become so aggressive that you would almost become violent? Remember that? That's the thing. You, you've got to, it has to be balanced. If you give them too much testosterone, like these weightlifters take, then you will get aggression out of that. If you, if you return men to their teenage levels of aggression, and I'll, I'll start giving numbers out, and, um, total testosterone, if you return men to a teenage level of, of 1100 to 1300, you might see some aggression, especially in driving in traffic, whether they drive aggressively. On the other hand, if you return to more normal values of men in their, say, in their 30s, 20s and 30s, like um, 700 to 900, then, then you have a, a balance and a level-headedness from these men. Whereas if, you're, if their total testosterone is below 400, before 4, 450, you get depression in these men, as well as they're, they're being more open to, to various uh, prostate problems and other cardiovascular problems. 
What about women and testosterone? I know that there are some anti-aging doctors that are giving very mild doses of 5 milligram in women. Talk about that. Yeah, that women need about 120th of the amount of testosterone that men need. And, you know, just, just for a woman to be assertive, just to be a little bit assertive so she, she isn't totally passive, she needs a 120th amount of testosterone. So what that typically means is the gynecologist will give her um, a little pea of uh, androgel, you know, maybe there's one to three milligrams, where a man is taking 75 or maybe even 100 milligrams a day, the women will be taking one to three milligrams a day, you say, a tiny amount, and then all of a sudden, they're, you know, they're a little bit more assertive in their lives, they're not, they're not passive, they, they're happier with their lives, they, they have more energy from that alone. So women really need a little bit of testosterone also. But again, you know, you, it, they have to be carefully measured for this. They can't just walk into the office without being measured and then, and then expect the physician to give them the right dosage. And I noticed also you put in your book sometimes five milligrams even of a gel, a daily you know, gel. Some, some women are, are need, need a little bit higher than that. I'm just saying that... Yeah. Hypothetically, I mean, again, you, you have to measure this. It's all a matter of measurement to get the right amount. You can't, you can't assume anything. And, and it's, it's very easily that you overdose with hormones or you underdose. And again, you mentioned, uh, six years ago or seven years ago where physicians were just handing out, um, high dose DHEA. Actually, yeah, at that point well, it was a low dose. dose. I mean, that's what we thought at that time. Seven, seven years ago we thought, in women, that's the right way to do it. But now we have different thinking on that. I hear you. What about in the anti-aging context? Is it true that, for example, DHEA in women, which I know you said is more complex and that's why things have to be measured and balanced specifically, doesn't DHEA and testosterone potentially translate into too much estrogen? Oh, yeah, and, and that's one reason why that both men and women should be taking another substance along with them called um, DIM. It's called DIM, D-I-M, and, um, and then that helps to the women to better regulate their estrogens and men to prevent the testosterone from, from converting into the DHT. Okay. Now, you have also written extensively on issues that you have with radiation and that we as a public take radiation much too passively. Like when we go to our dentist and we get radiated and we go in for other types of tests and we get radiation. For example, I don't take mammograms. I have thermograms. What's your I'm, take I'm on that? I'm against radiation unless it's an emergency. Unless you have a dental emergency or whatever your emergency is, you shouldn't be using radiation. In fact, there's a correlation that during the last 20 years, the radiation from medical devices has more than doubled, and then, and then cancer from those, from, from those cells that, that normally experience radiation, that is more, more than doubled. So there is a correlation between that and the rise of, of cancer and, and use of radiation, I think unnecessarily because it's, it's promoted as, for example, the dentists promote this as a routine dental x-ray. Well, most of the time you don't need that. In fact, let dentists admit, if you ask them, that they can't even see if you, um, a cavity under a tooth with a dental x-ray. You know, so that you're better off um, not to have, you know, to, to say no to these, to these dentists who want to give you a dental, a routine dental x-ray. What do you think about once every five years? No, I think only when you have an emergency. When you have um, 
some some medical emergency. You have gin, severe gingivitis. You have um, you have wisdom teeth that are acting up. Then then you need it. And as one dentist told me, you don't have to X-ray. All, all you know, five different X-rays around the side of the mouth. You can take a global picture of of the entire mouth in one shot that gives you most details, except for some of the backs or where the molars are. And and it, you know, you don't need that. And also, this is one thing that the dentists, if you ask them this, they 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 will realize you're right. Is that when they get these new dental X-ray machines, they don't set them at the lowest setting, the lowest setting that that allows. A clear picture. They just set them at any old factory setting they arrive at, and so you're actually getting too much radiation, and, and they don't need that level of, of resolution, of picture resolution. They could set it at a lower level of picture resolution, and, and you get less, less, X, uh, less radiation at a lower level, and they, they don't usually do that unless you, unless you ask them to, unless you, you're really forceful in, in having them adjust the, the dosage that they're getting. They've been doing a lot of things that are routine that they don't think twice about, many of them. You know, they, you know they've been taught at, at dental school that everybody should have a routine at dental x-ray, and then they get their $75 for this. And, I, and several times I've said to dentists, look, at why don't I just give you the $75 as an extra fee, and we'll pretend that I had an, had an x-ray. What do they say? They're all huffy about this, but then they, they see what I mean subtly. Subtly, I mean that, that they, you know, they just want to collect the fees because that's what they've been taught to do. They, they don't really need to have all these dental x-rays. How do you feel about what's going on at the airports? It's unfortunate that, that people are being irradiated, but you can demand um, a physical examination instead of, instead of the, um, that, that whole body scan they're doing, right. and they have to do that. And, yeah. Of course, that's that makes some people uncomfortable to have a, um, a, a body of a physical examination by these TSA people. Let's talk about the marine fresh fish that you're recommending in the book. Many people are taking omega threes and omega sixes. Some are taking flax seeds. Some are taking flaxseed oils. But you're very specific about taking omega three fatty acids from mercury free fish. Good luck with that. How do you find that? It's very simple. You you only buy, you can buy this from Costco. You can buy this from Whole Foods. You only buy uh, fish that that comes from it's freshwater fish from Canada or Alaska, and and Costco and and Whole Foods they sell these products. If you buy fish that are they're Atlantic fish, there's going to be some mercury in it. Any any fish from industrial area. If another type of fish, um, Chilean fish. You know, fresh Chilean fish or a frozen Chilean fish, that's relatively mercury-free. Any, in Hawaii here, I live in Hawaii, we, we get some frozen um, ahi that comes in from Taiwan that has, that has a little bit of cadmium in it, you see. And, and it's very cheap. I mean, you can, from, a, from a food stand, you, for $2 you can get some ahi, but then you know that the, along with the low price, you're getting some, some heavy metals along with it. So it's really worth only to buy... The fish, it's fresh water from Canada or Alaska. And what if people don't want to eat the fish, but they'll take a special omega-3 fatty acid fish oils or krill? Well, what do that, you recommend? That's not as good. I mean, the, the manufacturers of the fish oil capsules will, will say that it is as good, but it isn't because really with, with the capsules, you're only getting um, one or a couple of, of oils, of, of the essential oils, like the DS, DHA, for example. But if you, ta- if you eat the whole fish, there's 40 different oils in, in the whole fish, in salmon, in... Um, 
and some of these fish that I like. There's 40 different oils plus selenium, you see. So it's, it's really nature's way. Nature provided these fish with 40 different oils plus selenium to sustain us, and it's really not enough. Unless you absolutely hate fish, it's worth eating the fish, and, and which is the essential basis of the Mediterranean diet is to eat fish and get, get a rich diet of omega-3s, um, especially from salmon. You talked about somebody that you knew in the book who takes the oil. What is the name of the oil? It's Nordic. There's a Norwegian um, Nordisk, uh, Norwegian salmon oil capsules. Right. Those are good, but again, it's much better to eat the fish itself. It has the 40 different oils plus the, you know, plus the, um, the selenium. You write a lot about exercise, and some of it in the book I got a little bit confused. And no, I, want I, you... I didn't write anything about it. The title of the book is Stay 40 Without Diet or Exercise. Right, but you wrote, wrote a little, little bit. about exercise right. because that, that's a you know, topic in itself. But essentially what I'm saying is to, for Americans to do like, I know most Americans are not going to go to the gym. I know this. I don't like the gym myself, but, but, but Americans can do what, what Japanese and what Europeans do, and that's walk several hours a day. And, you know, so most Americans should be walking several hours a day to be leaner, like, and have better cardiovascular, like Japanese, like Europeans are doing, have always done. And, and Americans used to exercise more. I mean, they used to, to be more physically active and less couch potato-like. And, and so that's what I'm really advising. To get, and the, the Americans that are older, they can't walk anymore, then, then they need to be in the pool an hour or two a day. If you can't walk hardly anymore, you really need to be in the pool, kicking your legs and using your legs in the pool. And that, you, you can do that if, you're, if you have various um, uh, neuropathies and, and have difficulty walking. What do you think of interval training? Um, interval training's all right. Inter- interval training's all right. But the problem with interval training, you know, I've, I've seen that, I've done that myself, and the problem is you, you put a lot of pressure on your joints, and if you're over 45 or 50, you, you, don't, you know, you, you really, you're, you're, you're putting a lot of weight on your joints and your feet that, that you don't, that it should, that's hard on you, that's hard on your body. It's, it's hard mechanical wear on your joints and feet with some of this interval training that I've seen. There's a lot of research done that you can increase your growth hormone level by 450% by doing interval training no more than 20 minutes a day. What does that if sound like to you? you're under 45. Pardon me? And if everything is contingent upon being a younger person that's under 45, you know, if you're over 45, you know, your, your growth hormone, you know, it, it, even if your growth hormone goes up 10 times the level, you're still back to a 50-year-old level. I mean, your growth hormone just is, is tiny at, at age 50 and 60 compared to was, it was in your 20s, you see. And then even if you take injections of growth hormone, you don't necessarily get the growth hormone you need. So how do we get the growth hormone? Um, you have to go through it, an entire anti-aging program with diet, with exercise, with, with replacement of the other hormones that are needed. You know, with replacement of thyroid, we talked about testosterone, women with their, um, with, with their estrogens, estradiol and progesterone and estriol. Women really need, you know, estradiol and, and estriol and progesterone. And then once you do all that, then, then you get injections daily. Of, of a cocktail that I write about on my web, on this website. And it's an injection that combines, um, growth hormone with a polypeptide called IGF-1. And every day you take it, 
um, HGH IGF-1 injection, and all of a sudden your your body will assert itself to younger levels. All of a sudden, you you're physically you can do things that you couldn't do thirty thirty that you could do only thirty or forty years ago. Isn't taking growth hormones still heavily regulated in the United States? Oh yeah, you and, and again, I mean, you have to be over the age of fifty, and you have to be diagnosed properly diagnosed from a physician where they'll 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 give you a stress test and they'll and they'll 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 diagnose you for what's called hypopituitarism. You have to be diagnosed for that. You won't get a hypopituitary diagnosis if you're say under 45. And the same thing with for testosterone. You can't legally you cannot be prescribed to people under 45 and unless they've have testicular damage or something, you, you, you can't get that legally prescribed. The only people that do that under 45 are weightlifters who often get it illegally. What about people that are weightlifting at 50, which is supposed to be really good for enhancing your bone mass and everything? Are you concerned about that? Yeah, they need some hormone replacement. If they don't get that, you're, all you're doing is burning up your body. You're, you're not getting, you're still gain, having weight gain. Your, your body is still not performing. Often these people are, are overdoing it. They're over-exercising, which ages them faster if they're over-exercising. That's what I wanted to ask you about. And, and if you look at this book, there's this beautiful book by Bill Phillips. It's called, it's called Body for Life. Okay, and he, he has these dramatic photographs before and after. And if you look at these photographs, that some of, you know, especially the people that are over 45, and you'll, you'll see that, that the heavy exercise, and all of a sudden they have better muscles and they're leaner, but if you look at their face and hair, they've aged significantly. In, in nine months, they've aged five or ten years. And that's because the free radicals are eating them up, and they haven't done the hormone replacement. And they haven't taken the free radical scavengers they should. And so that if you, if you, you don't even have to buy it. You go down to the bookstore, look at Bill Phillips' Body for Life book, and look at some of those photographs there, and you'll be shocked at the before and after photos that the bodies improved. They look physically fitter, which they are, but, but they've, they've aged significantly. Maybe 10 years they've aged in their, in their face and their hair. When you heavily exercise without the right radical scavengers, you're, you know, you, you age, you age dramatically. Yeah, and, and I mean, another way to age dramatically, if you're a strict vegan and you haven't taken extra supplements, the special supplements like B12, for example, um, folate for vegans, you age faster than everybody else does. And I noticed you were also very specific about taking B12, that orally it doesn't go through to the rest of the systems as well unless you take it sublingually or you inject it or you take it through your nose, correct? Yeah, you have to take it through your nose or sublingually when you're over 45 or 50 again. Or, or you get an injection like they do in the old people's home. They give them B12 injections because it doesn't absorb anymore through the, the ileum. The ileum in the small, is a small intestine where there's a cofactor that has to bind with the B12 you ingest orally, and you, you don't have that cofactor after 45 or 50 anymore. So therefore, you have a B12 deficiency. And the same thing with vitamin D. If you go to the, the ordinary drugstore, and you get vitamin D off the shelf, that's only for people under 45, that B12, that, B, that vitamin D is. Um, what, what you really need is vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 is the active form, and the better health food stores, are, and even Costco, are selling D3. And I noticed that, that Schiff, the, the you know, really good product, quality product, Shift, uh, the, the company Shift is, has a, a 5,000 unit a day um, D3 
uh, remedy, which I strongly re- recommend. Everybody needs 5,000 a day when they're over 45 of D3, and this, this prevents 20, 26 forms of cancer. Didn't you also say the body could use 7,000 units a day, close to 50,000 units a week? Well, okay, some people, again, you need, it should be measured. If, if you have the time and the money and, and you go to the trouble, that 5,000 might be, a non, be enough for some people. Some people, in fact, need six or 7,000. But the only way you're going to know that if you, if you have a blood test for your, your vitamin D. Which is very inexpensive. You, yeah, I mean, you know, we're for free, actually. But most people, you know, they don't, they don't have the time or interest to do that. So that's why I say that you basically need 5,000 a day. But you really should measure it because your, your blood scores should, should be, I would say, 60 to 100, and maybe optimally 60 to 80. And a lot of people are running around with, with 20 or 30 or so of, of, of D3 in their body. I want to talk about the fact that we have so many pollutants in our system that hibernate in the fat and that if we were to god forbid have to eat our fat many of us would die talk about that i found that interesting oh yeah that um yeah that's that's an interesting subject um especially from the days of leaded gasoline where we had tetraethyl lead and and from the leaded gasoline with that absorbed into our fat and if we diet significantly if we fast and diet then some of that comes out into the bloodstream again and um and, and this is why we need, we need some detox, especially if we're dieting and losing weight. We need to detox from these heavy metals. Um, and and one, one thing I found that's really interesting, that recently I was reading statistics on the types of cancers that people acquire, and it turns out that, that 60% of all cancers are, seem to be environmental, from what I've read. Because, and why do I say that? Because 60% of all cancers have to do with the throat, the intestinal tract, the lungs, you know, those areas that are in, in, in contact with the environment, with, with the air in the environment, with the food environment, and that's giving, and that's, that's gives us 60% of cancers. So you do, in fact, by, by leave, living in a clean environment and, and eating clean food and making every effort to be as clean as possible with air and what you ingest in the way of food, then you, you do eliminate to uh, probably two-thirds of your, of your cancer risk. When was it found out that the aluminum cookware impacted our ability to get Alzheimer's as one now of that, the contributors? That goes back to my friend Johan Bjorkstan. He's, he's a Finnish scientist, and he moved to Texas. And in the 1960s, he, he found all this aluminum in the brains of, of, of deceased people. He, he found all this aluminum, and he, and he, and he could see that that's from the the aluminum cookware, it, what happens is with the aluminum cookware, that's your cheapest cookware that you can buy is aluminum. And, and typically, if, you, if anything acid, if you cook any food with any sort of acid in any sort of citric juices or anything, then that, that, cook, that aluminum will leach in to your food. And, and then eventually it'll, it'll, it'll arrive at your brain, the aluminum. And it was believed at that time, it's still believed, that, that aluminum can, can impact senility, can impact uh, Alzheimer's, as well as other heavy metals. How do we get it out of our brains once it's there? Okay, well, aluminum, you can't, you can't get it out of the brain once it's there. You can't do anything about that. But the other heavy metals, you can, you can, um, they can be removed from your brain uh, chemically by chelating every day, chelating with, um, uh, with various chelators. 
Um, one of them is not one of the, okay. One chelator is EDTA. Most people know about EDTA. Garlic is another chelator, but they don't really reach the brain. Um, the DMSA, a product called DMSA, available at Vitamin Research Products or VRP.com. You can buy the DMSA and you can chelate out with the DMSA the the heavy metals like the leads and the cadmium and the and the mercury out of your brain. And I try to do that once a week myself. But you gotta remember when you take these chelators, you take them in the morning and then at night you, you have to re what's called remineralize. You have to add minerals back in your body because the, the chelators pull out you know your necessary magnesium, potassium and and um and other essential minerals that you need for normal health. So if you chelate in the morning, then at night you want to you want to drink your electrolytes. You want to you want to eat your drink your electrolytes or take tablets, and to to remineralize your body. It's very important to do that. That's a good point. Talk a little bit about L-acetylcysteine. This is a chelator, correct? That's one of your really good uh, again a strong antioxidant. N-acetylcysteine is, is a strong antioxidant, prevents oxidation in your body, prevents um, oxidation in the lens of your eyes. Um, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a good scavenger for free radicals that I know too. And, and actually, most people, they, they take this incorrectly because it only has N-acetylcysteine as well as other radical scavengers. They only have a four to six hour half-life. In other words, if you take it in the morning, you ingest this in the morning, then by noontime, your body is, has, is very low in that again. So you really need to, to ingest, ingest that three times a day. At meals? Yeah, that, that's the easiest way that you, you schedule yourself, like Susan um, Summers suggests, you schedule yourself to take them three times a day. You have a 20-minute-a-day um, time devoted to ingesting nutrients and hormones, and that's what Sir suggesting. And, and you do this three times a day, and you try to do it along with your meal, because then you remember. You're ingesting food, so then you can ingest your, your various minerals and hormones and, and anacetylcysteine three times a day. So you, you, you have a steady state level. You have a, a sufficient high level in your bloodstream um, uh, 24 hours a day. And the same thing with DHEA, by the way. You, you don't want to be taking 50 milligrams of DHEA. That's the old thing. That's what people thought five, seven years ago, like you suggested. The best thing is to get the time-release DHEA. There's time-release DHEA, 10 milligrams, and you take that two or three times a day. So you take that you know, once in the morning, once at night. I, I happen to be taking it once at noon also at lunchtime. So you have a, a more even steady state level of DHEA, you know, all during the day and during the night. Instead of instead of being instead of overdosing yourself on fifty milligrams and then before you take another dose, then, then your body is, is has insufficient DHEA. And the, you know, you see what I mean? I mean it's very important to get to get a steady state dose of some of these nutrients and and, and hormones for more optimal health. You talk about a very specific anti-glycating nutrient called aminoguanidine. Yeah, aminoguanidine is the um, the natural product, the natural solution um, to the drug metformin. Now, metformin is is very important for for diabetics or even suspected diabetics to to take. They take their metformin; it sharpens their insulin receptors. 
is what it does. But if you don't like the, the drug product, metformin, the, the natural um, product that, that metformin was synthesized from is aminoguanidine. And so that this is more of a natural solution, and, med, and aminoguanidine would do essentially the same thing as metformin do, does, namely the sharpening of those insulin receptors so you have better, um, you know, more control over your pancreas and its release of insulin, more control of those, of those insulin receptors. And there's a lot of people in this, in this country that are, that are not only diabetic or they're, or they're pre-diabetic. You know, they, have, they eat a high-sugar diet and they're pre-diabetic, and, and they're, they're suffering from that. And, and, of course, you want to lower your sugar intake, eliminate your sugar intake if you can, and then take the immunoguanidine or the metformin. On page 47 of your book, this is at the time of your book, you said, I'm chronologically 63 years old, but biologically I'm decades younger. Explain that. I thought that was a very profound statement. Okay, um, I, I just had a colonoscopy. I'm 66 years old. I had a colonoscopy. Um, the, the, the physicians, the nurses were surprised that I, that I had blood pressure like a young person does, like a 20-something. My, blood, my normal blood pressure is 117 over 67. And I remember doing a treadmill at a cardiologist a year ago, a routine treadmill where, you, where you, you're on the treadmill for five minutes, you rest for a minute, and, and after resting for a minute, my blood pressure was 128 over 60. And the cardiologists say, that's impossible. You, that can't be right. He, he, he ordered the, his tech to retest me because nobody has 128 over 60 unless they're in their 20s or teens or something. And again, if you're, if you're balancing everything correctly with balanced hormones, balancing your diets, balanced nutrients, like we discussed with the N-acetylcysteine, um, with coenzyme Q10, for example. If everything's balanced in your body, your body will be in, begin to respond like a 20-something. And you know, another example of that, that, that I like to do forestry work. I have, I have heavy boots, I have gloves, I have ladders, and I have, I have assorted chainsaws. And I like to go out in my forest stand on a 12-foot ladder with, a, with, a, with an 8-foot pole that has a chainsaw on the end, and I'll start, start trimming and, and, and cutting back to judiciously the trees there. Well, I couldn't do that. I mean, I couldn't do that unless I had a body of a younger person. There's no way I could do that. There's no way I could, I could have the strength and the balance on the top of a 12-foot ladder to, to do that unless I were taking the, the proper hormones and supporting nutrients. What about the people that say, look... Doctor, this may be great, but it's not normal. It's not how humans are really intended to age. Talk about that. Well, it's normal for you to die. I mean, after age 45, 100 years ago, people did die at an average age of 47 or 48. And in fact, those people, I, I present them with the interesting fact that there's 6.4 billion people on the planet, and the planet can really only sustain 2 to 3 billion people. So those who don't want to adopt and live longer, then I say that's fine. I want to talk about CoQ10. This has really been recommended for many, many, many years. But I think that in your book, when you talk about for those people that have to choose between a standard vitamin and CoQ10, go with CoQ10. Talk about why. Well, CoQ10, that, that's, your, that's your critical um, nutrient for the heart and for cardiovascular. And some of the more forward-thinking cardiologists um, like... Um, Stephen Sinatra, no relation to Frank Sinatra, Dr. Stephen Sinatra have been promoting CoQ10 for the last 15 years. And this is your, your primary heart nutrient. 
In fact, CoQ10, it's, it's, um, if, if you take a, if you, from a slaughterhouse, if you take a beef heart from a slaughterhouse and you press it with your hands, then, then it'll ooze out of that a, an orange, an orange uh, viscosis uh, liquid. And that's the CoQ10 from the heart because the, the heart is dependent upon CoQ10 to, to, to function properly. And especially people taking statin drugs, and there's a lot of people these days taking statin drugs, they get depleted with CoQ10. And Merck, the big drug company Merck, has known about this since, since two internal reports, 1999, and yet they haven't encouraged their patients to, to take CoQ10. But everybody on statin drugs needs to take CoQ10. Everybody with cardiovascular problems needs to take CoQ10. But actually... In the last two years, I've recommended there's even a better form of CoQ10. Quercetin? And that's um, ubiquinol. 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 CoQ10 is just a, um, a, a popular name for ubiquinome, ubiquinome, but the more advanced form of that is ubiquinol. Ubiquinol, you need 100 milligrams a day. CoQ10 or ubiquinome, you need 400 milligrams a day. It's interesting how each year the sophistication and the precision gets better and better. In terms oh, yeah. of I mean, knowledge. I mean, medical science is doubling every six years, and very few people can keep up with what's, what's happening out there. And a lot of physicians, it's, it, they're, they're working hard in their practice, but, but often they're, they're operating a knowledge that maybe is 10 or 20 years old. What do you think people should do with regard to the radiation leaks at Fukushima and also now in the Midwest, that nuclear plant? I know that you speak a little bit about radioprotective nutrients and we should be taking it. What are you thinking about? Um, I'm, just, I'm just in the process of publishing a paper on that subject that will be available another month or two on, on antiaging-motivate.com, uh, and it's about radiation and nutrient protection. And where I'm taking, you know, where I advise taking radioprotective nutrients, one of them you already mentioned, anacetylcarnosine, is... is uh, is and uh, is um, you know you should be taking that and you should be taking iodine, but but only low dose iodine, not the 12.5 milligrams. Take take a couple milligrams a day of iodine. That's all you need, and um, yeah, I think you need that to because you are going to. And I would think one thing I would avoid is milk products because some of the the milk the milk products. Um, in the atmosphere, there's radioactive strontium, and the radioactive strontium through the rainfall, the cows are absorbing it. It gets in the milk supply, and the strontium is being picked up and carried in the in, in your calcium to your bones, thus irradiating your bones. So that so that I would avoid milk products and perhaps even take take some strontium supplements that are the non-radioactive strontium to prevent the radioactive strontium from getting in your bones. How interesting. So milk, cream, butter, anything, cheese, all that needs to go anyway. Yeah, it, 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 a lot of Americans don't realize it, but the reason, one of the reasons why Americans are a lot fatter than, than people in other countries and people in Europe or Japan is, is this heavy diet of milk products and meat products. And I remember um, Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, blood bless his soul, he, you know, in 1978, he ordered his attorney, his, his surgeon general, to, to come out with a, with a better eating plan for Americans that lowered their intake of milk products, of cheese and dairy, and, and, and meat. And there was such an incredible opposition from the, the meat and dairy industry 
that he had to he had to back off on that. And so we have today people that are over consuming, you know, meat and, and dairy products and and Europeans don't do that, Japanese don't do that, and they're healthier for it. And 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 that's a big problem and and you, you get all these cardiovascular problems. As soon as you eat a high meat diet, a high dairy product, you get cardiovascular problems. You mentioned thyroid to me, hypothyroidism. You, you can't correct hypothyroidism you, if you don't give up dairy. I mean, dairy is intimately connected with hypothyroidism. As soon as you give up dairy, then all of a sudden the puffiness in your arms goes away if you're taking thyroid medication. Let's talk about the thyroid for a little bit because there's another doctor, not an MD, but very well-known researcher who's recently published about Hashimoto's and how if you have Hashimoto's and you're hypothyroid, the answer is not to just take a bunch more thyroid, even if it's armor thyroid or iodoral or iodine, but to do something totally different. Talk about that because you seem to know who he is and understand what he said. Yeah, this is um, Dr. Karazian, and Dr. Karazian has has come to the conclusion, which I agree with, and other MDs I know agree with this also, that, that in the case of Hashimoto's disease, in Hashimoto's disease, 80 to 90% of those patients have immunological problems. And Dr. Karazian has pointed out this is an immunological problem. It isn't, a, it isn't lack of hormones. It's not an endocrinology problem. It's an immunological problem. And so that, you know, eating more and more, consuming more and more of um, iodine or of thyroid supplements is not going to help you if it's, if it's an immune problem. And so he suggests a special diet that he has and special supplements that he has, and he trains chiropractors to do this. And, and I, you know, I, I, I advise everybody that, that have, be diagnosed by an MD, and if you get a diagnosis of Hashimoto's, then you go to a knowledgeable chiropractor who's been trained under Dr. Karazian to, to correct Hashimoto's. And they have special supplements, uh, you know, natural supplements, to correct the immunological problems involved here. I think that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating because on an endocrine level, most doctors would just give more thyroid. The subject of, of endocrinology, it's so complex. I mean, it took me, took me many, many years to, to learn this. It, it's as complex as, as, as nuclear physics. It's as complex as being, as being a rocket science to understand um, uh, endocrinology. And, and, uh, and there's still things I don't know, but, but I know enough that to send the Hashimoto's patients to chiropractors trained by Dr. Karazian. I want to talk a little bit about L-glutathione because it's become very popularized in the anti-aging communities with anti-aging doctors and in anti-aging in general. Talk about why L-glutathione is of interest to you and to others. You know, that's your primary natural antioxidant in your body is L-glutathione. And, and, you know, why do I, why do I say that? Um, for example, anybody with asthma, they're, they're probably lacking some L-glutathione in their lung cells and the epithelial cells of their lungs. And if they were to inhale uh, um, L-glutathione powder into their lungs, their, their symptoms of asthma disappear within minutes. I mean, that's how important it is to the lung cells, but it's also important to every cell in the body, your L-glutathione. That, and and why, is it, why the lungs? Well, the lungs, you're breathing, again, pounds of, ant, of, of oxygen every day, and, and you're creating uh, less than an ounce a day of, of, of free radicals, 
of oxidants in those lung cells. That's the first cells that encounter the oxygen in the air and convert that in, in, and transport that in the bloodstream. And, and your lung cells, your epithelial cells, they, they have, typically the lung cells have 140 times the amount of glutathione that the blood has. So the serum blood has is 140 times the concentration amount. It's called the gradient. The gradient is 140 times in the lung cells versus the blood cells. And, and this is the way to solve that. Now, you can inhale the powder, which most people don't like because it's, it's it, it irritates you and makes you cough. So most people these days, they're advising every day to, to take um, what's called liposomal glutathione. And liposomal glutathione is available at vitaminresearchproducts.com, vrp.com. And you take a, maybe a, a tablespoon of that a, a day, and, and, and it helps in resolving some of the problems with asthma and, and with, with free radicals in general. Is that the best way to take L-glutathione? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, some people are using it on the skin, transdermally on the skin, and some people are, are having really good effects with uh, liposomal glutathione under the tongue. You know, that, um, uh, that works also. Um, and some people, you know, they don't have the money. If you only have, if you only could spend pennies a day on this, you can inhale the glutathione powder directly into the lungs, and then, and then immediately. Because what this, the, the the lungs are doing when when they don't have enough glutathione, they start forming mucus to protect themselves, the epithelial cells from the free radicals. They form mucus, and then you start coughing, and then you get congestion in your lungs. Where if you if you have sufficient L glutathione, then then the mucus production stops. Then your body knows that you that you uh, feel that that need. There are even some patches I hear. I don't know if they work or not. That's the same as transdermal as, as patches, and and then that'll work too. So there's a number of, of ways you can do this. Um, my own preference is a liposomal glutathione, but then that that'll cost you sixty dollars a month. Got it. But but actually, I mean that's cheaper when you think about it. If you if you the typical treatment for for asthma is the the corticosteroid inhalers. The corticosteroid inhalers they're typically um, the better ones. The powdered inhalers are 140, 150 dollars a month. If you don't if you don't have insurance and you have to pay 140 or 50 dollars a month, the 60 dollar a month liposomal glutathione is is more economic. And better sense too. It it actually attacks the problem rather than just treats the symptoms. You had also talked about how we can get our animals, our beloved animals, to live fifty percent longer when given strong free radical scavengers. Do you have some ideas about that you'd like oh, yeah, to share? Um, Professor Denham Harmon um, discovered in 1956 that that he was giving his mice colonies um, a very strong antioxidant called BHT. BHT is short for butylated hydroxytoluene. He would give those to his mice, only 3% of their food. He would give that to them, and then they would, they would live 50% longer. So this is, new, this is no, no new news. This is 1956 knowledge. And then, of course, Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw was advocating taking this and other strong antioxidants during the 80s, early 80s. And he, he, Dirk Pearson probably went overboard. He, he advocated taking megadoses. Of, of, of radical scavengers, and that didn't work. Again, you need a balanced approach, like we've been discussing with hormones. You need a balanced approach of a lower dosage, but, but, but steady state throughout the day. You need a lower dosage throughout the day. And, um, 
And, and, and for your pets, I mean, the, the, none of these pet, pet manufacturers have discovered this, even though the research is from, from 1956 on. And then I did research in this with animals also in the 70s and 80s. And you really can extend the lifespan of animals. You can extend the, I mean, dogs can live to over 20 years of age if, if they're eating the right radical scavengers. And we're not so certain about how much this will help human aging, but we know with animals, we know with dogs, cats, mice, rats, you can, you can get a 50% extension of their lifespan if, if you give them the right radical scavengers. I think a lot of animal lovers will be happy to hear that. Yeah. What is the big arginine craze with losing weight? You didn't talk about it in your book, but I wanted to ask you what your take on this is. You do lose weight with arginine, and it actually was, it was best known back in the early 80s. Two, two nice Jewish boys from Scottsdale, Arizona, they were <laughs> nationally promoting a product called Dream Away. And Dream Away had arginine and orantine in it, and you'd, you'd take one at night, and, and during the night you would, you would burn your fat. During your sleeping hours, you would burn your fat away. Thus, you would dream your fat away. And the FDA came down and fined them a million and a half dollars and made them stop selling this because they didn't have any clinical evidence, but they did have millions of American customers who did lose weight and didn't get side effects from this. But so it is another way to lose weight. I I think there's better ways than arginine, but but which is another subject for another program. But but you do lose some weight with arginine. It does help you to lose weight. But the best thing you can do is to to eat a more restrictive diet, a more low calorie, high protein diet than than take the arginine. Arginine is supposed to help your heart as well. Is that correct? Um, well, anything that any any method to lose weight helps your heart. Because if you, the, what typically doctors look for is the visceral fat. You look at a, at, a, at a person's stomach, and underneath the surface fat is the visceral fat. And if you see a, a man or a woman with a lot of visceral fat on, on the stomach, then you know they have a lot of fat on their heart. And, and if you can reduce that visceral fat with arginine and other methods, you're also going to reduce the, the fat around the heart, which is choking off the arteries there. And... and, and and reducing heart function. Do you remember there was a very well-known book about how too much cortisol running through your body makes you fat? Do you agree with that? Did you hear about that book some years ago? Oh, yeah. Well, I know exactly what you mean. And, and again, it's, you know, it's, again, it, you have to use a balanced approach. If you have too low cortisol, you die. You, you have, um, you know, hypoadrenalism. And JFK, JF Kennedy had, had too low cortisol, and he was miserable for years with all sorts of back pains, black circles around his eyes. And the other extreme, you have, you have hyper, um, hyperadrenalism, and that's too much cortisol. And if you, if you show those symptoms, uh, typically you'll have... Um, uh, you'll be a high-energy person, but you'll have a, a large abdomen. It's called a pendulous abdomen that kind of kind of swings back and forth as you walk, and you have stretch marks, striae, and your stretch marks on your abdomen, and you have thin legs, tweedy bird legs. These people, and these people have, have too much too much um, uh, cortisol, and they tend to be you know alpha people, alpha males, alpha females. And then that's too high of cortisol, and they and they tend to have problems with sleeping. You can't sleep right if your if your cortisol is elevated. You know, it, it's a stress hormone. So in other words, if it's elevated, if cortisol is, is highly elevated, then it's the stress hormone with these with these characteristics with these symptoms. If it's too low, then it's the survival hormone, 
and which which JF Kennedy he was it, his was too low. You talk about the brain being 70% fat and you recommend things like hydrogen. You've talked about pregnenolone with regard to feeding the brain. Again, when it comes to the 70% fat of the brain, it all starts with your diet again. And if you, you choose, like a lot of Americans do, to, to eat cheap food, to eat junk burgers and transplant french fries, then that's what your brain will be, will be filled, those kind of fats. With animal fats and, and, and trans fats, your brain will be filled with those, with those fats, thus, thus the inc- high incidence in this country of, of Alzheimer's. On the other hand, if you choose to fill your, your brain with omega-3s from, from fresh fish from, from Alaska and Canada, then, then you're going to have a much healthier brain in your, in your senior years. I'd like to talk about the thing that bothers so many people as they get older, which is age pigmentation of the skin, sometimes on the face, on the arms, on the legs. Why do they arrive, and how do we get rid of them? That's a, again, that's a, um, a free radical phenomena where, where you get these, the pigment, the dark pigmenting age spots that you see. It's called lipofusin, and it's the waste products that accumulate in cells from free radical reactions that have occurred during your lifetime. And, and some of your cells, especially in the heart, one-third of the volume of, of, that, of the, those heart cells could be filled with its age pigment. We only see the, the, the surface of some of this. We, we see the tip of the iceberg when we see age pigment on the faces of seniors. And again, it's a free radical phenomena. If you, you take antioxidants, strong antioxidants, vitamin C and E is not going to do it. You need strong antioxidants like N-acetylcysteine, uh, N-acetylcysteine. You need that. To, and then if you already have this, there's, um, there's all these face creams out there in the cosmetic world that will help you, that will rid yourself from the cosmetic look of this. I keep thinking of Dr. Perricone's $185 face creams. And essentially, the active ingredient, for those who want to save the $185, is DMAE. If you take DMAE in creams, and cheap creams, and rub that in with these, where these pigment, these aged pigments are, they'll begin to disappear. Because the DMAE helps to break up the, the pigmentation, you know, this lipo, lipofusine pigmentation that accumulates in these cells and helps the body to eliminate that. And what do you think of this centrophenoxine? Centrophenoxine, yeah, they, that'll do it too. They sell that in Europe, and they sell that um, at antiaging-motivate.com. It's more of a European product, and that orally you can... You can, you can rid yourself of some of this lipofusin that's accumulating every cell in your body um, through the free radicals. It's absolutely fascinating science. The science of anti-aging medicine is it's so forward-thinking. It's actually getting ahead of the game. But for many people that just hit 50 or who are over 45, this is really a whole system's revelation. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and it's and again. You have to start with diet and exercise. None of these remedies will work very well unless you first start with diet and exercise, and you're really concerned about your health and your aging. And, and once you're on a proper diet and exercise, then you can start with the nutrients like the CoQ10. You start with some hormone replacement, and and you'll begin to feel better and better, and you'll begin to feel and be a younger person. What do you say to people who say, look, I don't have two hours a day to walk. I have 40 minutes a day to walk. 
um, then then you're going to be like all other Americans. In, it, in the state of Mississippi, 80% of the population is obese, is medically obese, the state of Mississippi. And if you, if you visit Mississippi and ask the people, they, they think that's the normal. So most people, they think that's the normal to be obese, to, you know, the age signs of aging have, have uh, occurred dramatically on them at age 45 and above. They think that's the normal. So the, you have to be one of those exceptional persons that, that doesn't accept um, um, going, going slowly into a dark night, as Faulkner, William Faulkner used to say. <laughs> so even if people are doing proper hormone balancing and taking these antioxidants, high-level antioxidants, free radical scavengers, it's not going to be enough? No. Again, I mean, it, one remedy is not going to do that. I mean, there isn't, I mean, that's what the pharmaceutical industry would like you to believe, that, that you have one symptom and there's only one remedy for that, and that's it. I mean, they'd like you to believe that, but it didn't used to be that, that way in this country back in the 50s and before, where people understood that, that you needed multiple remedies to solve the underlying problems. You, you do more than just solve the, 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 the symptom at hand. You want to solve the underlying problems of aging or of whatever disease you have. It's not enough to address the symptom of it. And, and I've talked to, if you, if you talk to older pharmacists in their 70s and 80s, they remember in the 40s and 50s still where they had remedies that were much better than the ones that existed today because, because they, had, they, had, they had three or four different ingredients that the FDA won't allow them to, to sell anymore, that today it's only one ingredient they'll allow for one symptom, you see. And so we've gotten away from the, from the, from the right way of doing things, um, thanks to our benevolent FDA. How does the FDA feel about you? Um, no, the, the FDA is under the, and the FDA is essentially, it's financed and supported by the pharmaceutical industry, so they pretty much do what Big Pharma wants them to do. So that, you know, they, and, you know, I'm not against Big Pharma. I, I, mean, I, I recommend a lot of Big Pharma products, which you've, which you've even named on the show here. I'm not against Big Pharma. But what I am against is, is when there's better remedies available, according to the current science, the cutting-edge science, then you should use the better remedies and, and perhaps put Big Pharma on, on the back shelf for, for, for other times when you might need them in an emergency. You say that oxygen is a double-edged sword. What do you think about hyperbaric oxygen treatments for people? Oh yeah, well you know if you have if you have medical problems, and you know I I, I think was it Michael Jackson did hyperbaric oxygen. If you have a real medical problem, then the the high the high um, uh, oxygen in your bloodstream helps to to alleviate some of these medical problems, and then you need it. If you have a real medical use, then you then you then you take hyperbaric oxygen, or you take hydrogen peroxide treatment, you know, these ones that require that. Or, you know, I guess like Linus Pauling, I knew him personally, I've been to his institute several times lecturing there. He recommended high-dose vitamin C, but you had to have a medical problem, like you had to have cancer. And then he recommended um, IVs of, of vitamin C. Would 60, 60 grams a day of IC of vitamin C would, 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 um, would, would cause um, free, radical, free radicals in your body to burn out the cancer. That was his theory. And, and so you only would do this if you had a mere medical problem to address this. You would not do this as an everyday health, health um, regimen. You've been very clear about how you think about radiation. So much to say that we shouldn't even do these standard radiation tests. 
that are really damaging and unnecessary. And I know this is going to be a little controversial to ask you this, but I want to ask you, with respect to cancer, what do you think of these radiation doses that people are getting to, quote, get rid of the cancer? Well, yeah, well, well that's, the, that's the standard method of treatment, um, and the, the, the physicians have to, have to follow what, what is recommended by their medical board, which is chemotherapy and radiation, and that's, and that's what we're stuck with today. We're really, you know, you can't ask a physician to, to go beyond conventional treatment or they risk their license, especially in California. I mean, I know that they're forced to do it, but do you hold the same view that it's danger, that it doesn't do what it's purported to do? Well, it's, it's, it's the best that conventional medicine has to offer, but, but you know, I have other remedies. Um, there are other remedies out there, which, which you know, I, I agree that one should try. Um, you know, you should, there, are, there are nutritional, uh, um, oncologists work with nutritional, nutritional medical doctors with their patients, so there are other remedies that oncologists work with that they can do that legally to work with, you know, I think that's a possibility. Within the anti-aging communities, there is a focus and a concern on how our bodies become inflamed, how inflammation is caused. And I wondered, what are some of the remedies? I know you mentioned two to three grams a day of turmeric to help with that, but could you explain inflammation and why our bodies become inflamed? Yeah, I think I can give you that if, if you if you continue to eat the American diet, which I call the which friends of mine at Queens Hospital call death food, which I call a roadkill diet. If you eat that, you're going to get inflammation in your body, and it's a puffiness. Your body becomes puffy. Okay, what do I mean by puffiness? Well, I'll give you two clear examples: Mickey Rourke and Sylvester Stallone. They they're incredible athletes. They're incredibly muscular. Um, they've weight lifted their whole life. They've taken hormones their whole life, and yet if you look at them in their 60s, and they have a certain puffiness about them from from not eating correctly. They haven't adjusted their hormones, all their hormones. They haven't adjusted their eating habits, and so they do look a little puffy. And if they don't correct that, you probably won't. They won't live beyond age 80 because you know it's called it, inflammation will, will kill you. Inflammation will cause cardiovascular disease and kill you. And usually before age 80, you don't see anybody, for example, over the age of 80 who's who's who looks puffy and is overweight. You don't see many over obese people over the age of 80 because they you know inflammation kills them. What does turmeric do to fight that? Turmeric has been used by the Chinese and the, and the Indians in India for over 2,000 years to, to fight inflammation, to lower levels of inflammation. So that, and, it, and it's really amazing that, that if, if you have some puffiness in your arms and whatnot, you eliminate dairy, like I said, eliminate all the dairy. You start eating turmeric, at least two grams a day of turmeric really fresh turmeric, and try not to get the old stuff, the cheap stuff. You get the most expensive turmeric you can find, and all of a sudden you, you lose um, you know, water retention in, in these fluids. You, you'll become less puffy looking, and, but it also requires you know, eliminating dairy and eating lower portions of meat, especially fatty meat. Try to eat lean, lean beef. As Thomas Jefferson had a, had a saying about this that, that it, this is 200 years ago. That Thomas Jefferson said, said that you should that you should um, that you should not eat meat as a main course. 
that meat should be eaten as a side course, he said 200 years ago. And of course, the Koreans and the Japanese, they know that. They only eat, they only eat um, beef, stringy beef as a side course. For example, the Koreans, they have their bibimbap, their bibimkoksu, it's 90% veggies, but 5% is stringy beef on the side, stringy spicy beef on the side, and that's the correct amount following Thomas Jefferson's advice. What's this whole protein craze about then where you have to have X amount of protein in your body? Do you accept that? Oh, yeah. You, you, that's the thing. I mean, people have got, there's a lot of people who, who think that health is, is becoming a vegan. That's it. It's become a religion. Veganism is a religion these days. And, and you actually need more protein in your diet. And if you are a vegan, I'd strongly advise to eat a lot of beans and legumes and to get more protein in your body. And I even notice this in, in, in certain actors and actresses that, that they're, they're too thin. All of a sudden, you look at their neck and their, their veins and their cartilage is popping out of their neck. Their veins and cartilage are popping out of their arms from too low a protein. When you don't eat enough protein, these, these, these celebrities, they, they're lacking in, in, in collagen and, and, um, and elastin. And when you lack in collagen and elastin, you, you start, your body starts to, to crumple. And eventually, if, if you're missing protein through, through many decades, you begin to, to look like a, um, a survivor from a concentration camp. So to get more specific, with regard to having enough protein and the right kind of protein in your body to do what the body needs it to do, in terms of either eating fish, which you've recommended is the, really the primary food is what I'm understanding, and then very, very lean beef or chicken, and how many times a week are you recommending? Can you give a rule of thumb for us? Oh, yeah, you, you should be eating protein every day, especially for breakfast. That's what they do in other countries. That's why they're not, they're not either overweight or underweight like Americans are. They're eating protein, especially for breakfast. For example, um, the Australians will have steak and eggs for breakfast. The British will have, will have um, eggs and, and British bacon for breakfast. The Japanese will have fried butterfish for breakfast. You see, they're, they're all eating protein even for breakfast. What are Americans doing? You walk into one of these Starbucks, Americans are having an energy bar for breakfast or a or high-sugar drink. They're not having protein. And then if you ask, well, did you have your breakfast this morning? I said, oh, yes, they've done the right thing by eating oatmeal. Oatmeal isn't protein. They need oatmeal. They, they need protein in the morning. Okay, what can Americans do? They can, they can take protein shakes, you know, the whey protein shakes. They can eat more beans and legumes. Um, they can start eating, you know, fried butterfish like the Japanese do, or, you know, steak for breakfast like, like the Australians. Or the British, the British historically, they, they eat beans on toast for breakfast, or they eat this large British breakfast with eggs and, and ham, you know, British ham that, and Canadian ham, which is lean. It isn't fatty like American ham. It's a very lean ham, and that's all protein. You really need protein, you know, every day, especially for breakfast, especially if you're over the age of 50. If you don't want to um, uh, crumble up like a concentration camp survivor, you need that. So, for example, how about the whole egg scare where people were told, oh, don't eat eggs, it's going to create cholesterol? You know, a lot of these people, including medical doctors, they've forgotten from their food chemistry. From these people, have forget, maybe they never learned food chemistry. But what happened is when you heat eggs to 125 degrees, the egg coagulates. 
Okay, the white coagulates, the, the yolk coagulates, the yolk contains the cholesterol. What happens when you coagulate an egg at 125 degrees? The cholesterol can denatures to, to a, mit, a mismatch of, of protein then. It's no longer cholesterol. When you've denatured it by having, by having scrambled eggs or eggs over hard or hard-boiled eggs, then all of a sudden it isn't cholesterol anymore. It's denatured to protein, you see. See? So that's all you got to do. You just got to, you got to, you don't want to over, overcook anything, but you want to, you want to, you want to denature it at 125 degrees, which is scrambled eggs, hard boiled eggs. Um, and, and you know, they, especially the omega uh, rich ones, they sell whole foods, for example, you denature those eggs by, by cooking it so that they're, there's, there's no runny, there's no runny egg yolk because runny egg yolk means there's cholesterol left there. Got it. See, the devil really is in the details, and so is yeah, the marvel. This is, this is basic food chemistry that many, many physicians I know, they, they, they don't remember that from school. So I remember that. So a way that people can get their protein in the morning is for egg lovers, you can have two or three eggs in the morning if you oh, cook yeah, them right. Or three or four eggs, but as long as you, it, it can't be runny, runny egg yolks. It has to be, you know, it has to, it has to be, you know, hardened so it's denatured. You know that... That cholesterol is denatured into ordinary protein. In closing, I would like to know your position on gluten. Medically and scientifically, what's the issue with gluten that everybody's making an ordeal about? Is it real? How much of it is real? What is your take on it, doctor? A lot of people have un- unknown food allergies. And one of the most common unknown food allergies is a gluten allergy. So, that, so those people with known gluten allergies, they when they go over to gluten-free products, Whole Foods has a lot of gluten-free products, and then they feel better, and then there's less puffiness, they digest better, there's less um, intestinal gas, and and um, and in fact, you know that there is. You mentioned French bread. The the in Europe they don't have bromine in their in their in their flour when they're making French bread out of it, where the Americans have bromine in that in their food. And so it's better that Americans don't eat any bread because of the bromine in it. Bromine chases out of the body iodine, which is the, which the thyroid needs to function properly. You know, it's the, I, the bromine is a halogen, iodine is a halogen. The bromine chases the, the, the iodine out, out of your body so that your, your thyroid gland doesn't function very well. You know, thus, I think, you know, at, at, at middle-aged women and above, especially, the majority of them have, have some thyroid issues. They have a little bit low thyroid, and they feel better by, by getting a little bit of thyroid medication. I have one last question. The name of your book is Stay 40 Without Diet or Exercise. But yet earlier you said if you don't exercise, you might as well forget all this. I'm confused. I do advocate in every chapter, or at least the beginning chapters, that, you, that everybody needs some moderate exercise every day, of an hour or two a day. You do need some moderate exercise. You do need to have dietary modification. But I haven't gotten into that subject in my Stay 40 book, um, because that's, that, that is another book in itself. I mean, True. and there's already 15,000 books out there on diet exercise. Right. I mentioned one, the Body for Life by, um, book, and which people should take a look at by, um, by Bill Phillips, my friend Bill Phillips, and take a look at that book. And, you know, I do recommend this, but those are subjects in themselves, and I'm looking at other aspects of aging. It's a real pleasure and an honor to have you on as our guest. Is there anything else for part one of our time together you'd like to share with us? 
You know, we'll just try to read my book, Stay 40, because this is, I've given you a really condensed version, but, but try to read the book that's, I'm much clearer and much more everyday language in the Stay 40 book. It's available on Amazon, Amazon.com. And, um, and then look for more of my articles. If you're, if you're interested in what I have to say, look for my articles at antiaging-motivate.com. You'll find articles about everything I've spoken about with much more detail. Well, I'm so appreciative of the long-standing research work and the discoveries you've made and the products that you've brought to humanity at this time in human history. Dr. Richard Lippman has been with us. He's a world-renowned expert in free radical scavengers. He's nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine, and it's a real honor to have you on today. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure. I welcome you back. Thank you.